There are no rules now that I'm impeached. You had it easy with Donald Trump. Delirious. But now you're going to get Donald Trump raw, baby. Listen up, bucko. I challenge you to a push-up contest. Talking me, you, shirts off, nips out. First guy to do one wins. What do you say? Go ahead. I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, you sure you're not afraid? Oh, my God. Nancy Pelosi, I thought it was Krampus. <laughs> hey, did you read the letter I sent you? Oh, the one that was six pages single-spaced like a serial killer? No, I didn't read it. I'm sorry. But I brought you two gifts, Mr. President. They're the articles of impeachment. Oh, oh, great. Give it to Mitch in the Senate, and everything's gravy, baby. Okay, but here's the thing. You know how sometimes you get a gift and you like it so much you want to just keep it as a gift for yourself? You can't do that. Mm, watch me. Good luck at the State of the Union. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. Live It's Saturday Night Live. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 45, Episode 10 of SNL with host Eddie Murphy and musical guest Lizzo. I'm John Murray, and I'm joined this week by comedy aficionado and generally affable bloke, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. Enjoy the following selected highlights from this week's discussion. And if you'd like to hear our full-length, ad-free, sketch-by-sketch review, it's available exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com forward slash snlpodcast. It's our patrons who make the cast possible. We are so thankful to everyone who's already come on board. Learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Murphy. Well, Steve, I uh, hope your holidays were delightful. And that you got everything that was on your wish list. Santa was great to me. You see this new Star Wars shirt I got on? I do see it. I was talking about your new podcast so much that somebody picked up on that. And I got this great shirt. Hey, tie-in. I'll, uh, I'll accept the plug. <laughs> yes. Uh, excellent. So as some of our listeners probably are already aware, I'm contributing to a podcast called Star Wars TV Talk. And uh, people can check that out at StarWarsTVTalk.com. And I'll just leave it at that so that we don't weigh down our SNL podcast with talk of Star Wars, even though uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see Rise of Skywalker, but I personally have a whole lot of thoughts on that that I'm going to have to get out into the intertubes at some point in the next few days. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to see it? I did. I really really cannot get into it because I won't stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a, a podcast for another day. Uh, but yeah, I got thoughts. So, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. if, if anyone wants to hear them, they will drop on that other podcast at some point in the near future. And, uh, yeah, why don't we uh, switch gears here and just, uh, take a quick look at our Patreon pledge drive before we jump into the show. So we are 29 patrons away from our year end goal. I'm not going to belabor the point. Uh, we're looking for patrons. We have a $2.99 tier that gets you everything we put out, our full-length ad-free episodes, all of our coverage for season 45, our entire back catalog, absolutely everything, $2.99 a month. It's a good deal. That basically works out to a dollar per cast. And uh, yeah, I uh, would love it if any of our listeners that would like to support the show would check us out at patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. And in line with that, I'd like to give a quick shout out to a few of our newest patrons. We've got Scott Mateo of Randolph, New Jersey. 
Judy Fryson from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Brad Strudwick from Parts Unknown, Corey Mayfield of Denver, Colorado, and Danny Wells from Portsmouth, England. To our newest patrons and to all of our patrons, we thank you so very, very much for your support. Our first live sketch of the night, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood is undergoing gentrification. So we're going straight to uh, an old character, Mm -hmm. wasting no time getting back to some of the greatest hits. Yep. And definitely not complaining because this was every bit as pitch perfect as Mm -hmm. any sketch uh, during the actual 80s Eddie Murphy era. Yep. It was a good update. I think they analyzed that pretty well and came up with something relevant and something appropriate to do with, you know, the low income projects dwelling character that Mr. Robinson is right. So the whole gentrification thing really made sense. And even though it was updated, it still played all those classic beats. Eddie really still had that character figured out every bit as much as he did before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All those little waves, just the, (laughs) the delivery. It was hard to, Hard to tell the difference other than, you know, the fact that he's noticeably aged. There's really not a whole lot different in how this played out. Yeah. And how great is it to see people like Mikey, uh, Chris Red showing up in these sketches? Like when you get signed on, when you, when your audition goes well and you get hired onto SNL, <laughs> you think, yeah. well, great. That's awesome. I'm going to be in all these sketches. And then, you know, someone comes on, you're doing Mr. Robinson's neighborhood or you're, you're doing Bill Brasky again. Yeah. Whenever they bring back those old sketches and have new cast members in it, I always feel so great for them because it must be like the most giddy moment of their careers. Yeah, no, surreal. Absolutely. To be standing on a set that you probably remember from your youth watching old reruns on Comedy Central or whatever. And there you are face to face with Eddie Murphy performing this iconic sketch. Um, Yeah. So we had Mikey Day, we had Heidi, and then we had Chris off screen, you know, doing a voice but he got lots of screen time with Eddie later in the show as well. So uh, yeah, the, the cast was just head over heels to be able to revisit these classic bits and be able to bring their own sort of modern flavor and, and update them and see how well they hold up. And I think this is a, a great example of a sketch that does hold up. You know, they found a, a fun, fresh way to, to revisit it uh, by having him, you know, teach all, <laughs> all his, his young audience lessons about gentrification and, uh, how to pull the race card <laughs> when you need an, an easy out to alleviate suspicion about you stealing someone's TV. Uh, all great gags. And like you said, his performance was sharp. It was all there. You know, the, the little stunned looks and the, who is it? Uh, so it, it was all, it was all there. It, it was, it was a beautiful thing to see. And as much as it was telegraphing that, oh, you know what? This is going to be an Eddie Murphy victory lap, greatest hits kind of show. So uh, don't expect a whole lot of like, new innovative fresh stuff just to expect you know the hits i was happy to see it i couldn't couldn't help but be happy to see it so this was a definite win i i I don't see how you could chalk it up any other way it's true black jeopardy welcomes on its newest contestant ghetto huckster velvet jones there's some mixed emotions for me on this one okay because it's great to see a classic character again right and black jeopardy is always a good bit of fun I just feel like there wasn't really enough done to gel them together. Mm-hmm. So they, they inserted Velvet Jones into this, but it did not feel quite fitted in well. 
Sure. They're kind of saying, you know, what you would expect them to say, you know, an older kind of more controversial character in a newer modern sketch. Right. Yeah. It's going to be about, Oh yeah, you're going to light up Twitter, buddy. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just felt a little bit contrived. Sure. And while I did enjoy it because of Eddie and some decent jokes, it just wasn't a totally organic mesh of the old and the new. Mm-hmm. I like that they were going for that. It just needed to find some more ways for it to mix and blend together. Because okay. it did very much feel stilted to me. Yep. I think that's fair. My feeling on this was Black Jeopardy has set an incredibly high bar. The Black Jeopardy, particularly the one with Tom Hanks, but all of them, they, they haven't really had a misfire for Black Jeopardy since maybe the very first couple before they really knew what it was. But once they realized that this is a vehicle to contrast different cultures and walks of life and show what you have in common or play up the differences and really say something kind of important or just kind of profound or just kind of smarter than what we typically get on SNL. When black jeopardy became the smart sketch to me, it became a little bit holy in that you don't touch it unless you've got something really, really powerful to do with it. And I know the show doesn't quite hold it in that regard. Like it's just another opportunity to find comedy if they can find it. But to me, you should only trot out Black Jeopardy when you've really got something hot. And I don't feel like this quite got there because Velvet Jones is a really broad caricature. And what we've seen on Black Jeopardy tends to transcend that a little bit and tends to dig a little bit deeper on the cultures that are being skewered. And uh, I don't know, it just didn't feel smart enough to blend with black jeopardy as much as velvet Jones is a fun character. And I understand how they got there. You know, what's our duck out of water character that we could put in black jeopardy as a contrast to modern black culture that you see in the other characters. And like, you know, where can we find the contrast in the comedy? I can see how someone thought that would be a a, a great thing to explore. Just turns out there wasn't uh, a very deep well to draw on. And so this, yeah. Uh, yeah, this ran out of steam a little bit quick. It's nice that they had the little turn there where you think that he's getting up to speed on being more culturally sensitive and he's, he's talking in a, a more modern way about, you know, respecting women and they have the right to be beautiful and, you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, then you realize, no, no, there's, there's no interpersonal growth here. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's fun enough, but yeah, just not enough to carry a black jeopardy, not after the stunning outings that we've had previously. Moment of the night. What do you got? My moment comes from uh, that Mr. Robinson sketch. Okay. The reveal of the 72-inch uh, screen yes. TV. We knew we were going to see it. As soon as it was planted, that punchline was inevitable. Yes. It was like Chekhov's flat screen. <laughs> sure. So it wasn't because we were all surprised to see it. The fact that it was used the way it was to like display the word of the day. Just such a great reveal (laughs) and the whole aesthetic and everything they've established about Mr. Robinson, having that big, beautiful 72 inch screen TV that he clearly couldn't afford. It just sold how obvious the crime was. Sure. I just thought as a visual joke, it, it conveyed so much, which is a lot to do. Very good. I think I got to give it to, (laughs) you know what? I got to give it to. The moment in the Mass Singer sketch when Buckwheat starts singing while still obscured by the costume. 
Yeah. Because as someone that, you know, is, is up on his buckwheat instantly, I was like, yep. Okay. Here's what we're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this. And, uh, I don't know. I was just, I was happy to hear buckwheat's voice and I love that they do it as a reveal. So it's just that much more satisfying because that's kind of how they did it in the old ones too, was a lot of times he would just sort of burst into the frame and I'm buckwheat. And you know, like there, there was always a moment, you know, where he arrives. And so, uh, yeah, this, this was just, this was just sweet and I was happy to see it. And it, uh, it just got me giggling and nostalgic and just pushed all the right buttons. So yeah, there's a moment. Okay. How about best sketch? Best sketch. I would have to give it to Mr. Robinson mm-hmm. just because it was the best of the greatest hits that we saw here. It was less of a compromise. They didn't try to blend it into new SNL. Yep. They really just updated it for the times and kept it pretty much how it should be. This is not a sketch you want to tweak too much. Sure. Yeah. So the fact that they were able to, you know, keep the spirit of it, and it was every bit as effective. Mm-hmm. That to me is just as impressive as writing a great original sketch of this caliber. Sure. Uh, they walked that line perfectly. Like you said, they, they didn't lose the magic of what that sketch was, but they also found something modern and relatable that they could weave organically into it. That was just so perfect uh, for what that sketch was and, and how it comments on <laughs> the, the state of, uh, you know, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood and all the goings on and well, you know, 30 years, a long time, things change and, uh, a perfect way to revisit it. It was the right way into that sketch. And so you have to applaud just how nicely they were able to recapture that. It is the best sketch of the night that I don't think there should be any controversy about it, but because you gave it that and you know, it's gotten high praise from us tonight, I'm going to go with my indulgent choice which is North pole news. I just was so charmed by those poor elves and the thought of them getting devastated by this bear. And you know, the, the one voice of sanity who's coming off like a crazy man. And, uh, yeah, just everything about that sketch had me charmed and uh, I'm just glad it made it through. So I'm going to give it to that. Not because it's genuinely the best material and I, just because it's the one that I really, really had fun with. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was totally contagious in its energy. Like I was there like, yeah, where is Santa? I want I want answers. <laughs> yeah, and he's trying to get a hashtag going like Santa knew or whatever. <laughs> I was so on board with it all. Yeah, so uh yeah, it was fun and it had a lot of energy uh for that late in the show. I think that's a great way to end the show. You don't feel like this show ran out of steam or didn't have enough material to carry it. You get to the 10 to 1 and I'm still having fun and that that to me is the mark of a good show. So, why don't we keep plugging away and and see where we land on all this? Let's talk MVP. MVP Jeez, I'm going to go with, uh, with Joe Piscopo who made a great cameo in the beginning. <laughs> sure. <laughs> of course, that's a, uh, that's just a little joke, but mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think we're both probably going to say Eddie Murphy. Yep. Uh, I'd be surprised if you disagree with me, Eddie Murphy all the way. What can you expect? This is basically, you know, when he was the bees knees back in 84, this is how pretty much every show went it was it was eddie murphy front and center for for every sketch almost and this is what it felt like it felt like that era of snl all over again Mm -hmm. just with a new cast behind him yeah there there's no argument to be made for anyone else this was eddie murphy's victory lap this was dripping with eddie bits you know that he brought to the show there's no way around it it was all eddie it was a nostalgia fest it was all about celebrating 
what Eddie meant to the show back then and just how brilliant his repertoire of characters really is and how they hold up and how you can still build a really satisfying outing of SNL around the stuff that he came up with when he was 19, 20, 21. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, this was just basically, Hey, the show saying we've wanted to celebrate with you and do this with you for so long. And we're so happy. We finally got to do it. Whatever you want to do, let's just do it. Let's have some fun. We're not going to overthink this. We're just celebrating Eddie and you, you feel that. And of course it's all Eddie. It's yeah. all Eddie. I hope they didn't have to do anything too drastic to get Eddie back. Have we checked so. on David Spade lately? Can, <laughs> yeah. we get, can we make sure he's okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the way I understand it, Eddie did bring in a few writers that he'd collaborated with back when he was on the show. Yeah. Um, just, you know, to make sure that they could recapture those voices properly and just have someone that could uh, lend an ear to what sounds authentic for those characters. So, you know, I, I know that they were planning this out and they wanted to make sure that they lined up all the pieces to really knock this one out of the park, but I didn't get the impression that he came to the show like a prima donna with a lot of expectations about the show tiptoeing around him. And I think that shows, I don't think by the time this got to air, anyone was in any way over having Eddie there. I no. think they would do this every week if they had the opportunity. And, and I just think that pours out of the screen. Yeah. So yeah, Eddie, he came back. He was a good sport. He delivered all his greatest hits. And, uh, what more could you expect from an MVP? Or sure. Beautiful. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Oh, it's, it's a natural classic for me. Sure. It's going to be remembered. You know, that time Eddie finally came back. It's probably going to be considered a big deal in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something that Eddie really put in his rear view mirror, uh, ever since he left and just having him back is something that a lot of people just gave up on seeing. Sure. Uh, I know I was one, I, I didn't really expect this to happen. You know, with his resurgence, uh, with his career and, and his seemingly newfound attitude towards things, uh, it all amounts to, to this, uh, SNL hosting gig. So I'm super happy with it. Absolutely. As far as I'm concerned, this episode started out as a classic and it was Eddie's to lose, right? Like it was going to be a classic until it proved otherwise. And it was going to have to try really hard to be anything less than a classic simply because this is not something like you said, that we ever thought we would see. And Eddie Murphy is such a powerhouse on the show that you just expected that he was going to be able to deliver. And, um, the nice thing is after having seen the show, uh, I got to say he didn't disappoint. You know, he had his fumbly moments. You could tell there was some cobwebs and he was a little rusty and long runs of dialogue. And maybe his eyes aren't as good as they were back in the day. And a couple of cue cards got a little blurry there. Like the, I'm not going to pretend that this was like just the most absolutely flawless episode of SNL ever, but it felt so good and he scored so many wins along the way that I don't think that there was anything in the show other than maybe the cold open, which just I've really soured on just cause I'm, I'm over politics and democratic debates at this point. Other than that, there there's nothing in this show that I felt wasn't fun and that I didn't enjoy the ride and that I didn't feel kept up the energy. And uh, yeah, I was just, I was so grinning at the end of it. And I'm glad that the version that went out on air was as fun as the dress rehearsal because the dress rehearsal, you know, it, it had all that same energy. There was a standing ovation when they announced Eddie's name and that standing ovation lasted 
well past when the applause sign went off and he's out on stage waiting to start his monologue and people would not sit down, you know, like that's how the show started off in the studio and it just never lost steam. It, it just never lost me. And, uh, that to me, that's a classic. That's a fun SNL. Yes. A hell of a way to round out the decade. So we got to do that. That sound effect now. Oh yeah. Double classic. Yeah. all right so yeah now it is up to adam driver to see if he can uh keep the energy going into 2020 and we'll find that out uh at the end of january i think uh january 26th i'm just pulling that off the top of my head i'm not exactly sure what day that drops but snl is on hiatus for the better part of a month and uh yeah we'll see them back at the end of january with adam driver before we head out do you have any other final thoughts on the Eddie Murphy episode that you feel you want to convey before we call it a night. Just that it was satisfying. And even though I got my expectations way up (laughs) against, you know, my best efforts to keep them at a realistic level, you know, they were just so up there and it it delivered. Sure. So, Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to be so happy the entire Christmas break with what we got. Yeah, I'm pretty much sated until we uh, get to Adam Driver. Beautiful. All right. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Neil Weinstein, Justin Gardner, Carissa Eubank, Aaron and Trader, Donald Yates, Zachary Phillip, and Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week with Mario Lanza and Joni Newman's December month in review. Until then, this has been episode number 98 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Lizzo, Rachel Drudge, Larry David, Jason Zadakis, Fred Armisen, Maya, Maya Rudolph, Ali Bowen, Tracy Morgan, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. Thanks for making this fight a classic night. I love you. Thank Okay, well, responses are already pouring in from the magical being community. Uh, The Tooth Fairy via Instagram moments ago. uh, Wings heavy with despair this evening. Sending my thoughts and prayers to the North Pole. Some moving words there. That bitch sound crazy! We don't need no thoughts and prayers! How about sending some guns and ammunition? Cause there's some bear traps! Cause more bears are coming! And they're eating it. Eating is good don't stay a secret for long. We're up here, we're defenseless, and we're small, we're adorable, and we're chewable! Okay, thank you, sir. We are good with you. Uh, Rick, here comes an elf who just emerged from the workshop, ma'am. Santa knew! He knew that fence was old, and he didn't replace it! Cause it cost 5,000 more gumdrops than he wanted! Our pepper!
government blood is on your hands. Listen to this sexy ass elf right here. When polar bears are in town, <laughs> the fattest man in the North Pole is nowhere to be found. He's MIA. Pretty convenient, huh? Don't you think? We're just scratching at the surface at this thing. Hashtag Santa New. Oh, don't say things like that. <laughs> Thank you very much. And what is your name again? It don't matter what my name is. It don't matter. It does matter for our viewers, please. All right, my name is Kittle Diddles. <laughs> I don't like my name. That's why I didn't want to say it. Okay, well, thank you, Kittle Diddles. Wait, I... Rick, I think I hear something. It's very faint. I... I think it's singing. Hey, that ain't no damn singing. It's the band! The band!